The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. afternoon and welcome to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Grimaldi in for Leslie Marshall. I am joined uh, by good friend of the show uh, for both hours uh, remaining in the show here today, Brad Bannon, who runs Bannon Communications Research, a polling, message development, and media firm which helps labor unions, progressive issue groups, and Democratic candidates win public affairs and political campaigns. Recently, Brad acquired a new position as a weekly blogger for EpicTimes.com. He formerly wrote for U.S. News and World Report. He's also a lecturer in political science at Salem State University in Salem, Massachusetts. You can follow him on Twitter at Brad Bannon. Check out his website, BannonCR.com. Brad, always good to have you. Mark, how you doing? Uh, you know, I'm. I've finally. I think my eardrums have started to recover from the 75 minutes of the uh, giant Cheeto shouting at me uh, last night. And uh, I think you know, if if the only perfect touch would have been if the speech was sponsored by like Advil or something like that. Uh, yeah, that was really uh, quite the stem winder there. Uh, you, you know, I mean, the whole thing was an exercise in narcissism. Uh, you know, Donald Trump, it figures Donald Trump would give such a long speech uh, because, it, you know, he had longer to show his face uh, to a national primetime audience. So I guess we, you know, shouldn't be surprised. Uh, you know, Trump basically showed up on TV all four nights of the convention, uh, which is unprecedented. Uh, so, uh, you know, he basically is a narcissist. He loves seeing himself on television. Uh, and we saw a lot of him on television during the week. Yeah, I think it's an interesting point you bring up about how often he kept showing up, uh, you know, which is really unprecedented, um, you know, just kind of shows the character of how self-centered the guy is and how much he makes it about himself. Um you know, the most common way I've seen analysts on both the left and right describe Trump's speech last night is dark and frightening were words I heard used a lot. Uh, even putting my own personal politics aside, I, I really can't remember a speech that used fear-mongering as its central theme more than the one that we heard from Trump last night. I do remember sometimes that Bush and Cheney uh, did a lot of fear-mongering after September 11th, but this really seemed, um, you know, for, for a party platform speech, a Republican nomination, uh, excuse me, Republican National Convention uh, acceptance speech, uh, to have it be that dark and frightening, I think, is really something. Um, there was a lot of strong comments uh, that I found online last night that uh, kind of, some of them took me aback, uh, especially some from Republicans. We had Mary-Kate Carey, who's a former presidential speechwriter for uh, former President George H.W. Bush. Quote, this is from her on Twitter, quote, no, no anecdotes, no stories, no narrative arc, nothing but platitudes, dark vision of the future, no uplifting vision or call to action. Wow. 
We had Brett uh, Stevens of the Wall Street Journal editorial page tweeting, quote, this speech is a relentless, unyielding, humorless, hectoring appeal to fear and loathing. Uh, John Kasich, uh, strategist John Weaver on Trump's speech, quote, hell, speeches like this are a dime a dozen in uh, Tegucigalpa, Caracas, Asuncion, and Donetsk. I mean, you, you really can't get any more uh, stark than that. Uh, you know, we had really just uh, a lot of uh, strong takes about the speech. Uh, one particular uh, kind of uh, a comment that I honestly thought encapsulated how I felt while watching the speech was actually really a good comment by Van Jones, uh, which I'm going to queue up here and play. And I want the audience to hear it for those uh, that heard the speech last night may not have heard this comment from Van Jones. And it's really, I think, articulated well how I was personally feeling when I was watching the speech. And we'll get your your thought, Brad, on on whether or not you shared uh, the feelings of uh, one Van Jones. I came in at night with an open heart. I think you saw that. I was prepared to hear him do something extraordinary and never underestimate the power of a single speech to to turn a country around. Ivanka was beautiful. She gave a general election speech. If you have a pulse, if you have a functioning brainstem, you should have been saluting Ivanka Trump. His friend who tried to humanize him did a beautiful job. But what Donald Trump did tonight is a disgrace. Uh, that was a com- relentlessly, even for Donald Trump, who at least occasionally breaks up the, the fear mongering with, with some jokes, with some asides, some amusement. He had one funny line in an hour and 15 minutes, and the rest of it was just a relentlessly dark speech. He was describing some Mad Max America. I work in some of the toughest neighborhoods and some of the toughest communities in this country, and I don't know what he's talking about when he describes the country he's talking about. And he, there was some schizophrenic, psychopathic attempt to pull apart the Obama coalition, but from a political point of view, he even botched that. He says, he reaches out to the LGBT uh, community, and he says, foreign uh, ideologies that hate you, I'm against it. But the domestic ideologies that hate you, he's apparently for because they're all in his platform. He says he's going to reach out to uh, African Americans and, 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 and deal with their economic pains. It's hard, Anderson, to get a job if you're in a community that's over-policed and you have a criminal record. And every other leader in the country on both sides of the aisle have talked about criminal justice. He didn't. But this, I, I, I am, I, I'm actually, I've never felt this way in my life. I have read in history, being in moments where there's some big authoritarian movement and some leader that's rising up. And I felt that way tonight. And it was terrifying for me. This, this speech divided the country. You're either inspired by this or you're terrified by it. I'm terrified by it. Brad, those last 20 seconds especially, I think, really encapsulated how, how I felt, you know, after I took the whole speech in, uh, just how dark it was, and, and that I kind of felt a little bit hopeless watching it, like, wow, is this is really happening. Well, yeah, I uh, it was very dark. I think everybody thinks it was, even, you know, you quoted the Republican pundits, uh, my problem with the speech, besides the fact it was too long, which is always bad, is that it was so dark that it didn't offer Americans hope that things were going to get better. Uh, and, you know, let's face it, Americans are in a foul mood. Uh, most Americans think the country's headed in the wrong direction. But what they want from a candidate for president 
is they want a vision about, you know, how we move out of the darkness to the light. And I would, I thought it was a bad speech because Trump's speech was all darkness and no light. And that's not what Americans are looking for in a presidential candidate. We also had, um, Brad, I know you're probably familiar with Anna Navarro, who's a Republican strategist. I believe she, uh, I can't remember if she was involved with the McCain campaign, but I know she's been on CNN for a while. Definitely uh, no liberal or, you know, by any, uh, you know, stretch of the imagination, um, a pretty strong conservative. But she has, you know, mentioned uh, Trump's divisiveness before. And here's what she had to say uh, after watching the speech last night, debating with uh, Trump supporter Jeffrey Lord, also on CNN last night. I'm getting texts from, uh, from Republican Congress people who are saying to me, I'm embarrassed of my party. He wow. sounded like a fear monger. This is not Republicanism. Wow. I think a lot of Republicans today are I, I, cringing I, I, and we, just we, pain. We, 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 I want you to record her. Let me just say here, these are the folks who, in essence, ignited the Trump movement because they were paying no attention to their own constituents. None. Zero. Donald Trump got it. This isn't fear. This is a statement of reality. As I said to Gloria, when you've got six dead cops in the streets of Dallas, Texas, when you've got dead policemen, black and white, in the streets of Baton Rouge, when you have dead Americans in the streets of France, people are right to say there is something wrong and we are in a crisis. And Donald Trump is saying, I hear you and I will fix it. And that's even there more. There is absolutely something Jeffrey. wrong and we are in a crisis. <laughs> we are in a divided crisis right now. Yeah. But if you think anything that man said tonight is going to solve this crisis, you heard what, a different What is speech. wrong with Go that? listen to the speech. Go listen to the words of the trauma surgeon in Dallas, the, the guy who was there when those five dead policemen died. Go listen to the words of the chief of police of Dallas. That's the kind of thing that will get us past the crisis. Not this fear-mongering, not this divisiveness, what is not wrong? this disgusting speech that we heard tonight what is that does wrong, nothing Anna? but bring out the darkness in America. What is, it is terrifying. What, to is, what is wrong with having sympathy for people who are murdered by people who should not be? Wait, 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 wait a minute now. But you know what? Can you show a little sympathy for the people who were murdered I, I guess by police Jeff, inexcusably? Jeff, and I, I thought she really hit the nail on the head. I thought, you know, Jeffrey Lord is textbook, you know, cynic, always just pandering. I mean, who the hell wants police officers killed anywhere in mainstream America anyway? I mean, that was his response to, you know, the criticism of the speech. It's like, well, I don't want police officers killed. Like, really? Of course, no one does. Like, come on. That, like, that was pathetic, I thought. And I really thought, again, these are Republicans, Brad, who are saying this. These are not Democrats or liberals or even centrists or people who aren't politically affiliated. These these are Republicans and Republican strategists analyzing this, you know, objectively, and this is what they're saying. Yeah, I agree. I'd make two points. First of all, the argument uh, that you just played between two Republicans and two conservatives uh, sums up the week in Cleveland. Uh, you had uh, Ted Cruz, uh, who, you know, got a prime time speaking slot, uh, and he pointedly avoided <laughs> endorsing the candidate. Uh, and, uh, you know, another good example is I, Tuesday or Wednesday, I forget which, uh, stump, I mean, Trump uh, stomped on his own message uh, by making that crack about, well, you know, um, the NATO treaty, uh, you know, I might support NATO countries that get invaded by Russia, but maybe not, too. And, you know, that provoked a howl of protest uh, from Republican uh, Senator Lindsey Graham. And it was a week of Republicans battling Republicans and conservatives 
bad, uh, battling conserv- uh, conservatives. And the other thing I'd say is if you go back to Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan could paint a dark picture as well as anybody. But he always showed the bright side, too. This is where the United States can go. Reagan was great at doing that. Trump didn't even try to do that last night. It was just unrepent, you know, unremitting negatives. Uh, and, you know, he did only what half of Arnold Reagan used to do. Uh, Reagan used to talk about, well, things are bad now, but we're a shining city on a hill, and we can make things better. And Trump didn't even try to do that last night. No, he really didn't. Uh, to that point specifically, and we'll talk more about this after the break, Brad, you had Gloria Borger uh, and Jake Tapper both, you know, I think pretty objective uh, analyzing the speech, both brought up Ronald Reagan and said, you know, kind of echoing what you had said, really none of the, the, the light that Reagan would shine after describing a problem, just all darkness. Um, I also want to talk about, you know, in addition to, um, you know, the tone of the speech, the actual volume of the speech, uh, a lot of people noticing you know, whether they were, you know, uh, people who criticized Trump in the past or not, or people just tuning in for the first time, noticing that he pretty much shouted the speech for the entire uh, 75 minutes, which does have an effect on those watching, whether or not they continue to tune in or they tune out because they can't stand hearing someone shout at them, um, not only shouting, but the fact that it was uh, the longest in over four decades for either party. We're going to talk about those. We're going to get into some of the audio from Trump himself. Also, Trump uh, said... He would give the truth and nothing else last night. Did he do that? Uh, I bet you some of you can guess, but we'll actually come out and have CBS and the Associated Press fact check the speech. We'll get to those as well. If you have uh, any thoughts on the speech, if you'd like to give your reaction or any comments regarding the speech, you're welcome to join us at 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. This is Mark Grimaldi, Leslie's executive producer, joined by good friend of the show, Brad Bannon, who runs Bannon Communications Research. Follow him on Twitter at Brad Bannon, and we'll be right back after this quick commercial break. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Grimaldi joined by Brad Bannon. We are going to go to your calls in just a second. One of the things uh, that I had mentioned before the break was the fact that uh, Trump not only delivered what was the longest speech in over four decades at either the Republican or Democratic convention, but he also shouted pretty much the whole time. And this is Chris Wallace of Fox News quoted on that matter yesterday saying, quote, We can't ignore the presentation. He shouted the speech. It became an endurance test. I mean, when you lose Chris Wallace, I think that's saying something. And I know uh, we have uh, Wayne in uh, Albuquerque. Wayne, you wanted to comment on that uh, matter. Oh, yeah, exactly. It was impossible to ignore the amount of shouting and the way he delivered his speech. And, uh, you know, it was kind of a turnoff, too, for people like me who consider themselves independent-minded voters who are, you know, trying to find 
a reason to really like and get excited about the person who we're voting for. I mean, if there was even a shred of interest still in, in Trump that I had after last night, I would say it's gone. I wanted to make one more comment about Hillary Clinton, though. Sure. I just, uh, you know, I, I know there's a lot of talk now about who she's going to name as her vice presidential nominee, and I really do feel like she has a huge opportunity to win this thing if she were just to swallow her pride and take on Bernie and give Bernie the same deal that Trump was offering to some of these other uh, people from Congress. You know, if she were to take Bernie off the leash, let him really talk about a progressive agenda and and use him as a true partner, not just a uh, vice president in the wings, she's just going to get that dose of new voters that she needs to lock this up because at this point, I think we can all agree that whoever wins is only going to win by one or two percentage points, and it's not going to be a lot of votes. Uh, Brad, I know you have commented on this before, and Wayne, thanks for uh, calling in. We really always appreciate your input. Uh, a lot of people uh, who have supported Senator Sanders have called for this, but I know in the past you've said you know you don't think it's likely. Could you explain why why you don't think it's likely and what the positives and negatives of Bernie on the ticket would be? Well, the first reason it's not likely is Bernie Sanders doesn't want to be vice president. Um, he feels, and I think he's right about this, uh, that he will be a much stronger voice uh, in the United States Senate uh, representing progressive values uh, than he would be traveling to funerals, uh, which is essentially what vice presidents do. Uh, so I, it's not going to happen, and it's not going to happen because Bernie Sanders doesn't want it to happen. Uh, so uh, I don't think that's going to happen, and I don't think Bernie Sanders wants it to happen. Um, you know, whether it be a good choice or not, it might be, but Bernie Sanders doesn't want to do it. He's made that pretty clear to Senator uh, Secretary Clinton on several occasions. Uh, so, uh, but you know, I'm sure he will play an active role in the Clinton campaign. Uh, he said in that speech in New Hampshire that he gave uh, endorsing Hillary Clinton that he's going to do everything he can do to elect Hillary Clinton president, and that's a direct quote. Uh, and I think you see him very active on the campaign trail for Senator Clinton, uh, and then I think you're going to see him after the election uh, in the Senate as being a building on the visibility he now has to be a prominent voice for progressive values. In All right, Brad, thank you uh, there for that response. We're going to go to a quick commercial break. If you want to check out Senator Sanders' Twitter handle, uh, it's at Sen Sanders. He had a lot of comments last night on Trump's speech, some good stuff. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Romaldi in for Leslie Marshall with you for a little bit less than the next hour and a half, joined by a very good friend of the show and political uh, strategist and uh, expert in all things politics, in uh, my humble opinion, Brad Bannon, who runs Bannon Communications Research. You can find his work. Uh, he retweets a lot of uh, his stuff and other good articles that he finds. You can follow him on Twitter at BannonCR. If you're not on Twitter, get on there. But if not, uh, you can just go right to his website, BannonCR.com. That's B-A-N-N-O-N-C-R.com. You can also find him on Facebook. You're all over the place, Brad. You're all over the social media. 
Uh, yeah, uh, I'm all over the place, and uh, next week is going to be a zoo because I'll be in Philadelphia uh, all week at the Democratic Convention and uh, be glad to call in and chat with you about what's going on there. You know, you you might be reading my mind, Brad, so we may have to have a little talk in the next uh, break. But um, bef- before we get to that, I did want to go back to something that Wayne was talking about and, and that you alluded to, which was Bernie Sanders. Um, and the points that he's made at his speech. Um, a lot of uh, people have noted the strength of his digital campaign, and, you know, he really, and Brad, I know how closely you followed the primary, he had a really effective digital uh, media campaign on Twitter, Facebook. Um, a lot of his, uh, you know, fundraising was done online, and he had um, these different uh, things where he would, during the Republican uh, debates, he would actually tweet and, and, you know, tweet out his thoughts during the debates, and it would get a lot of attention. And last night, uh, he used the hashtag RNC with Bernie and put pictures of himself, you know, following along. And I want to read some of the tweets for anyone who doubted that Bernie was going to come out uh, in full support of the Democrats and opposing Donald Trump. Um, I thought some of these were just spot on. If you, if you listen to the Trump speech, um, I'm just going to go down the line here. Uh, will Trump mention climate change, the great environmental crisis of our time? Been waiting for a year now. Here's another one. Those who voted for me, and this is right after Trump, I think kind of in a hollow manner tried to reach out to Bernie supporters by nothing more than saying those who voted for Bernie, you know, you're with us now. And it was I mean, it was really not a very good, effective uh, reach there, in my opinion. But he said those who vote this is Bernie, those who voted for me will not support Trump, who has made bigotry and divisiveness the cornerstone of his campaign. Another one. We believe in bringing uh, people together, not dividing them up. Trump is wrong. This is after Trump uh, accused Hillary Clinton of creating ISIS, amongst other things that apparently she's responsible for, according to Donald Trump. This is Bernie. Trump is wrong. The real cause of instability in the Middle East was the Bush-Cheney invasion of Iraq. By the way, where is President Bush? I thought that was one of the best ones, you know, pointing out the fact that, you know, President Bush wasn't even at the RNC because didn't want to be associated with Donald Trump. Uh, This is another one. Trump's big economic plans. Give trillions in tax breaks to millionaires. Refuse to raise the federal minimum wage. Trump's economic plan, $3.2 trillion in tax breaks for millionaires, cut programs for low-income Americans. What a hypocrite. If Trump wants to fix trade, quote-unquote, he can start by making his products in the U.S., not low-wage countries abroad. And then he just unleashes a tirade about Trump products, which is such a good point. Um, he would lead the, the the tweets with fixed trade, and then these points he made, stop ma- manufacturing Trump shirts in Bangladesh at 30 cents an hour. Stop manufacturing Trump ties in China. Stop manufacturing Trump clothing in Mexico. I mean, he, I thought he really nailed it with some of these points, and that's where a lot of these young, you know, millennial supporters are, is on Twitter. So where, you know, maybe not everyone was following that way, I think the supporters of Bernie who were following the speech this was an effective way to reach out for them, and, and I thought the the Hillary Clinton digital team has done a great job throughout the entire N- uh, RNC. And Brad, I know you had I think retweeted some of uh, Hillary Clinton's tweets, uh, kind yeah, of. I did, and you know, there, uh, Senator Sanders sent out another uh, one of the tweets he sent out last night, which uh, I think captured the moment perfectly, uh, referring to Trump. Uh, Sanders tweeted, "He's running for dictator, not president." Uh, and I think that about uh, sends it all. And let me say one more thing about what Larry's comments. Wayne, uh, Wayne, it, yeah. It's clear Bernie Sanders has an absolutely no interest in being vice president. He said so, and he's told 
um, Secretary Clinton that several times in the last couple of months. Uh, the other reason he wants to stay in the Senate, and I think it's a very good reason, is I think because of the of Trump running at the head of the ticket, I think there's a pretty good chance the Democrats are going to be back in the majority in the Senate, and that means uh, Senator Sanders will get to become a committee chairman uh, and have a very prominent voice, uh, and I think that's one of his considerations. Yeah, I think that's an important point. I mean, you know, I I have said before, and I've talked with you about this, Brad, during the primary, I endorsed uh, Senator Sanders, and I even volunteered for him in uh, New York, where I live. Um, but, you know, I think I the, the platform that Hillary Clinton is running on, the Democratic Party platform, uh, the, the committee uh, that put it together, it's, it, as Senator Sanders said, it's the most progressive platform in history. And I think if your goals are what ban- uh, Bernie Sanders put forward, uh, during the the primaries, which were to overturn Citizens United, we now have seen uh, at Netroots Nation, Phil, uh, Hillary Clinton released a video uh, saying that within her first thirty days in office, she would propose a constitutional amendment to overturn Citizens United. She also talked about small a small donor matching system. She now has a college plan that she's proposed that is very similar to Senator Sanders. They've come towards a fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage. So I think they're united in their platform. And as you said, Brad, if she does become president, where where does all the legislation come from? Well, it comes from Congress. So if Senator Sanders wants to actually be a part of that and shaping the legislation, which he seemed so focused on, I don't know, specifics and details during the primary process, I think that's a much better place for him to actually enact change. Um, going back to the speech itself, this was the doom and gloom that many people pointed out about uh, Donald Trump's speech. We're going to play this, Brad, and then I want to uh, get into some of the fact-checking with you, which uh, we could probably do for about two more days, let alone two hours. So uh, (laughs) here's uh, Donald Trump. This is courtesy of CNN, a little bit of a mashup of some of the darker moments of the speech. Our convention occurs at a moment of crisis for our nation. Homicides last year increased by 17 percent. The number of police officers killed in the line of duty has risen by almost 50%. Nearly 180,000 illegal immigrants with criminal records ordered deported from our country are tonight roaming free to threaten peaceful citizens. Nearly four in 10 African-American children are living in poverty. Two million more Latinos are in poverty today than when President Obama took his oath of office less than eight years ago. Our trade deficit is $800 billion. ISIS has spread across the region and the entire world. Libya is in ruins, and our ambassador and his staff were left helpless to die. Egypt was turned over to the radical Muslim Brotherhood, forcing the military to retake control. Iraq is in chaos. Iran is on the path to nuclear weapons. Syria is engulfed in a civil war, and a refugee crisis now threatens the West. The situation is worse than it has ever been before. Nobody knows the system better than me. (laughs) 
Which is why I alone can fix it. So you heard uh, most of the doom and gloom from the Trump speech there, and I'm going to read from a CBS News Associated Press article that fact-checked many of the claims that Trump made in the audio we just played, and then we're going to get your take on some of this, Brad. Uh, Despite promising the truth and nothing else in his convention speech, Trump presented the nation, as you heard, with a series of previously debunked claims and some new ones last night about the U.S. tax burden, the perils facing police, Hillary Clinton's record, and more. Let's start first, Brad, with crime and homicide. This is what Trump said, as you heard, quote, decades of progress made in bringing down crime are now being reversed by this administration's rollback of criminal enforcement. Homicides last year increased by 17 percent in America's largest 50 cities. That's the largest increase in 25 years, end quote. Now, again, this is from CBS News and the Associated Press, okay, as nonpartisan as you can get. The facts, a rollback, question mark, no. President Obama has actually achieved some big increases in spending for state and local law enforcement, including billions in grants provided through the 2009 stimulus. While FBI crime statistics for 2015 are not yet available, Trump's claim about rising homicides appears to come from a Washington Post analysis published this past January. While Trump accurately quotes part of the analysis, he omits the statistical jump was so large because homicides are still very low by historical standards. In the 50 cities cited by the Washington Post, for example, half as many people were killed last year as in 1991. So, Brad, what are your thoughts on Trump's debunked claims regarding crime and homicide in America? You see what he was trying to do, but what about the fact that these were so easily debunked? Well, you know, this is... I occasionally teach um, a course called Writing for Politics, and including speech writing. And one of the things I tell my students is get the details right, because if you get your details wrong, as Trump quite clearly did last night on just about everything he talked about, uh, you undermine the credibility of your whole speech. And, you know, I mean, that's been the theme all week is undermining his own credibility. However, you know, in to be uh, purely fair, there's one thing I want to say that I thought was great about the Trump speech. It clearly wasn't plagiarized, so you have to give him some credit yeah. for that. Yeah, I think uh, that's a good point, Brad, when you look at it because of and, – and I thought really – I mean, this, this fact-checked really did a good job, and I'm happy that – you know, and I've seen it in a lot of different areas, but this was clear. I mean, you saw they said one part of the statistic was correct, statistic was correct but that's because of what they were comparing it to. It's so low you know, historically that that's why when you're comparing it within such a small jump and the fact that you had half as many people killed last year as in 1991, you have to look at it uh, historically. Uh, Next, I want to go to another good friend of the show, Michael in the Bronx. Michael, I know you wanted to uh, talk about the speech last night. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. The speech, in so many words, um, it's just like the entire RNC. Absolutely pathetic because of the fact that not only did you have Trump talking in a very combative tone, and as you have pointed out, pointing out lie after lie after lie. But look at what's been happening in the whole RNC. The bashing of Hillary, the slandering of Hillary, um, one fabrication after another, attacks on minorities, attacks on women. But then what in the hell has Trump offered originally 
to um, help this nation come through? And, abs- and the answer is absolutely nothing. A lot of the stuff that he's proposed is the same stuff that President Obama has proposed from day one of his administration. Uh, some of the stuff he got through, Obama is, and some he hasn't, only because of the obstructionism of the same stinking Republicans, who much of which has shown up at this RNC. So I'm tired of the lies from Trump and company, and I'm tired of the hate-mongering, the racism, the fear-mongering, and the absolute inciting of violence. I mean, that's why we have so many um, police officers getting gunned down, because of the fact that it was the Republicans that kept pushing for more guns, more guns, and no background checks. And then meanwhile, guns are getting in the uh, wrong hands to where people have had it up to here with all the double standards, the double talks, the um, miscarriages of justice of police officers killing innocent, unarmed people of color and other civilians, and there's no equal accountability. Some people feel like I must take matters into my own hands. I wish they wouldn't, but it's like I could always be the voice of reason, and there's always somebody would be like, the hell with this, I've had it. That's a problem. pretty much... Michael, I think you bring. I'll, I'll let you continue, but I think you bring up some good points before we lose them. I want to, and I'll let you continue. Um, you. you know, you talked about the fact that you know the the race baiting last night was on display prominently, and the other thing that I found rich was the fact that he talked about violence in America and that he was somehow going to keep people safe. Yet, if you watched his early rallies objectively, he was inciting violence at his rallies, saying that the person who got beat up at his rally deserved to be roughed up. You had him saying that he wished he could punch a guy in the face. You had him saying that in the old days, a guy would have been taken out on a stretcher. The man who uh, punched a protester in the face, he offered to pay his legal fees. I mean, these are all real things. Like, people can Google them. I'm not making this up. It's... uh, it's, it's almost outrageous to have this guy say these things after the actions that he's put forth. And then the other thing that you brought up, Michael, which is actually a really good point, is you have these Republicans talking about safety in America, yet when we've had the nation coming together with over 90 percent of Americans saying that we should have universal background checks, Republicans refuse to act on that. They won't even let people on the terror watch list be barred from having weapons. So I think some great points there, Michael, and I want to let you finish here. So go ahead. Thank you. And um, just as what you were um, were listening, Mark, is that this is probably one of the reasons why I'm so glad that um, the RNC came before the DNC. Because now, um, when you say about Googling, sometimes you don't even have to Google it. Trump and company, which includes my former despicable mayor, Rudy Giuliani, they are all on record, audio and video, for the stuff that they have said and stuff that they have done. So this is a great opportunity for next week and even in the weeks to come to just go to the videotape and go to the audio tape. If I can just uh, make a suggestion, and that is, it's in case no one does understand what I'm talking about, you know, you could always play the clips of, um, Donald Trump, and it's always about me, 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 I, 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 and then say apparently he hasn't learned anything or picked up an important lesson from President Obama. And then you go back eight years ago when President Obama took his um, 
accepted his nomination. And what did he say? This election is not about me. It's about all of you. So who has the best interest uh, in the hearts of the American people? Who really is looking out for us? I can say, guarantee that it certainly is not, you know, Donald Trump. No, I think, Michael, you're dead on. And one thing that I'll tell you as we let you go here, because we're running to break, is I don't know if right. you got a chance to uh, to watch it last night, but your comments about Rudy Giuliani, if you need a good laugh, check out uh, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. You can go on YouTube and find the clip, but uh, Jon Stewart made an appearance that was just one of his all-time best. Uh, you know, It made me really miss him on The Daily Show, but he had some really funny comments about Rudy Giuliani. I think he said something to the effect of uh, that's... Someone gave Rudy Giuliani a speedball and a, a Red Bull enema before he went on stage at the RNC, and that was the kind of laugh I needed after having to watch 75 minutes of, like I said, the giant orange Cheeto shouting at me last night. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Grimaldi in for Leslie Marshall, joined by good friend of the show, Brad Bannon, who runs Bannon Communications Research, which is a polling, message development, and media firm which helps labor unions, progressive issue groups, and Democratic candidates win public affairs and political campaigns. He is a blogger for EpicTimes.com, and he's also a lecturer in political science at Salem State University in Salem, Massachusetts. You can check out his website, which is BannonCR.com, or also follow him on Twitter, at Brad Bannon. If you'd like to give me a follow, it's at Mark J. Grimaldi. That's G-R-I-M-A-L-D-I. Last hour, we were reviewing Donald Trump's uh, 75-minute uh, RNC acceptance speech last night, which a lot of commentators uh, on both the right and left had uh, noted the dark and frightening tone of the speech. Also that it was the longest of any Republican or Democratic convention in over four decades at 75 minutes. Um, he also seemed to shout uh, during most of the speech, which was not received very well. Uh, just recapping some of the strongest comments uh, about the speech. Um, for those of you who didn't hear last hour, um, we had Mary Kate Carey, who's a former presidential speechwriter for George H.W. Bush, quote, no anecdotes, no stories, no narrative arc, nothing but platitudes, dark vision of the future, no uplifting vision or call to action. Wow. Uh, we also played some audio by Republican strategist Anna Navarro criticizing the speech, Van Jodes of CNN giving, uh, uh, I think, a um, kind of analysis that I, I felt in my gut, which it just, it was, it was a scary speech. I, I felt like I was witnessing something of someone, you know, having, being very close to power that shouldn't be uh, the, the biggest uh, job in the world, essentially, um, and then towards the end of the hour, just recapping for you, we started to go over some of the claims that Trump has made in his speech, uh, debunking the claim he made regarding crime and homicide. This is according to CBS News and the Associated Press, that the claims that Trump uh, made.
update regarding the increase in uh, homicide uh, in America's largest 50 cities was false. Um, The next area that we are going to visit is the safety of police officers. Trump said the number of police officers killed in the line of duty has risen by almost 50 percent compared to this point last year. Um, That's not according to the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund, which tracks police fatalities daily. Uh, The group found that the number of police officers who died as of July 20th is up slightly this year at 67 compared with 62 through the same period last year. Uh, That includes deaths in the line of duty from all causes, including traffic fatalities. So Trump's uh, claim that has risen by 50% isn't even close. Um, And overall, police are statistically safer on America's streets now than at any time in recent decades. For example, the 109 law enforcement fatalities in 2013 were the lowest since 1956. Brad, what do you make of Trump's debunked claims on the safety of police officers it really seemed like the worst kind of cynical pandering to me to begin with you know as if the rest of us aren't concerned about the safety of police officers number one but number two he wasn't even close on the the statistics uh no he wasn't and the reality is even americans watching the speech who agreed with his basic premises you just can't say stuff that ain't true. Uh, because, you know, the problem is if you do that, you have people like us and CBS and the Associated Press picking your speech apart. And, you know, you, can, you have to give a speech uh, in such a way as you maintain your credibility. Uh, and he didn't. And otherwise, people like us and the Associated Press and CBS uh, go to town picking the speech apart. And that's not what you want. And the other thing I say, I think it was Anna Navarro who says, or one of, one of the pundits she quoted said this, when you write a speech, you try, it should be a story. Uh, and you talk about people. Uh, like I talked to, like he could have said, um, I talked to uh, a police officer uh, in Cleveland uh, during the primary campaign, and he was scared to death uh, that he would get shot um, if he did his job. That's the kind of thing that you put in speeches to give the, you know, some flesh and bones. But it was just like, even the statistics, even if they're right, it was very dry. There was no human interest in the story, in, in speech. Uh, and, you know, if you want to go about writing a speech uh, that is not going to have any resonance at all uh, because of lack of credibility, uh, because of the absence of any human interest in it, uh, that's what Donald Trump did last night. And I can almost bet you serious money that he wrote this speech. Uh, then he sent it, he showed it to the campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, and Manafort said, this is horrible, you can't give a speech like that. And Trump said, oh, of course I can, because I'm the candidate, and he did. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, it was just a horrible speech. It was too long, um, it was too dark, uh, had no human interest in it, and he got a lot of the details wrong, but at least he didn't plagiarize it. That's yeah. Something. 
The other topic which he's had uh, consistently throughout his primary was immigration and border security. Um, This was also debunked by CBS News and the Associated Report. The claim uh, that Trump made last night, this is the quote, The number of new illegal immigrant families who have crossed the border so far this year already exceeds the entire total from 2015. They are being released by the tens of thousands into our communities with no regard for the impact on public safety or resources. End quote. This is how CBS News and the Associated Press uh, rated the comment. The facts. Quote, the pace of releasing immigrants is driven not by the Obama administration, but by a court ruling. A federal judge ruled last year that the government could not hold parents and children in jail for more than 20 days, which is that a bad ruling, first of all. Second of all, an appeals court partially rolled that back earlier this month, saying that parents could be detained but children must be released. By the standard used by the government to estimate illegal border crossings, the number of arrests, Trump is right at that, Trump is right that the number in this budget year has already exceeded last year's total, but it's down from 2014. So again, when comparing this to historical terms, it's still down overall. And the the impression he's trying to give is that undocumented immigrants are running rampant in the country and the number's increasing, but over historical standards, it's actually decreasing. The other point I wanted to bring up, Brad, as you are uh, someone who's very in tune with polls, is there was a very interesting new Gallup poll that came out yesterday. Um, So in addition to Trump's comments being debunked, this Gallup poll out yesterday, which people can check out online, showed that a higher percentage of Republicans, 76%, This is Republicans. 76% favor a path to citizenship for undocumented immigrants uh, than those favoring building a border wall with Mexico at 62%. That's pretty meaningful if that's just Republicans, as the numbers for when you look at it overall were much bigger. But that's just Republicans, a higher percentage favoring a path to citizenship instead of a border wall, which Trump based much of his campaign around. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and that goes along with the fact that if you looked at if you've looked at any poll, you know, in the last three or four years, um, where they ask Americans uh, if they favor a path to citizenship, uh, you know, I mean, you get like sixty or seventy percent say yes. Uh, and you know the die. If you look at those polls, the diehard Republicans uh, say no, of course. But if you look at the independents, the independents are supportive of the idea, and the Democrats are very supportive of the idea. And you know, it, it just what he said last night just flies in the face of public opinion. You were talking about historical trends. Well, let me give you another historical trend: the rate of uh, immigration. Uh, undocumented immigration is way down from what it was when George W. Bush was president. Yeah, so when you're looking at those terms, I mean, that's what you really should be comparing it to in, in historic, in the historical sense. And you're actually right, Brad, uh, even off the top of your head, you, you nailed it. Uh, two-thirds of Americans favor uh, a path to citizenship, um, or excuse me, uh, do not favor a border wall, much higher percentage, 84% uh, favor a path to citizenship. Um, well, my favorite comment of all time about border walls um, is something Rick Perry said during the 2012 uh, presidential campaign when Mitt Romney was beating him up in a Republican debate for being soft on immigration. And Perry's comment was, hey, listen, if you build a 10-foot wall, somebody's going to get an 11-foot fence, uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, ladder. 
No, it's true. I mean, and if you look at the the fact that the Republican Party after 2012 was saying they needed to become a more inclusive party and try to enact uh, comprehensive immigration reform, and then you have the right wing of the party, you know, basically hijacking the party. And, and now I don't know how they accept to win over just the common American, let alone the largest growing um, demographic in the American with the Latino voter. Uh, this is some more from that poll. Two thirds in U.S. opposed deporting illegal immigrants and building a wall. So that's 67 percent. And this is overall 84 percent in the U.S. favor a path to citizenship for undocumented immigrants. I mean, those are staggering numbers. So the fact that he's on the wrong side of that issue and solidly on the wrong side of that issue, I think is, you know, went from something that may have helped him. And you've brought this up, Brad, before, where it played well to his base in the Republican primary. But again, that speech last night seemed to really speak to Republican primary voters and his base in the convention there. But he had to preach to a much larger audience. And it just didn't sound like he did that effectively at all. Looking at it objectively, regardless of my or your politics. No, you're right. And, you know, I mean, essentially, going into this convention, Donald Trump was trapped in a box. Uh, and he was trapped in the box in the sense that he was talking about positions on issues which made the Republican base happy but did nothing to extend his reach to independence. And Listening to that speech last night, it was tailor-made for Republican, you know, hardcore Republicans. But he he didn't he wasn't able to use the speech for what he should have used it for was to break out of the box uh, and speak to independents who have concerns about his positions on issues. And you can't win without independents. And you know, I mean, the other statistic, you know, going back to the immigration thing, you just can't beat up black Americans and Latino Americans and live to tell about it. In 2012, Mitt Romney won the white vote by 20 points, 59 to 39. But he got defeated so overwhelmingly among uh, blacks and Latinos that he lost the election anyway. And what 2012 proved, and apparently the Donald did not get the memo about this, is you can't win the presidency with the white vote anymore. Mitt Romney won by 20 points, and he didn't get to be president. No, and if you look at the fact that 84% of Americans, regardless of their race, favor a path to citizenship for undocumented immigrants, it shows that it even goes beyond that. So I think that's another strong point you make there, Brad. We're going to go to break here. If you'd like to join myself, Mark Grimaldi, and uh, our fellow guest host, Brad Bannon, to give us your thoughts on Donald Trump's RNC acceptance speech last night, you can join us at 888-6LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. We are also taking comments uh, on who you'd like Hillary Clinton to choose as her vice presidential uh, nominee, which will likely be coming down today, uh, if not today, then tomorrow with the convention for the Democrats beginning Monday. Uh, A lot of signs pointing to the fact that it is likely to be Democratic senator from Virginia, Tim Kaine, but also Cory Booker of Massachusetts and uh, Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack, uh, apparently still in the running. So if you'd like to comment on any of those topics, you can join us at 888-6LESLIE. That's 888-65. Three seven five four three. This is Mark Romaldi in with Brad Bannon for Leslie Marshall, and we will be right back after this brief commercial break. You're listening to the Leslie Marshall Show. Truth for all sides of the spectrum. Eight 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 six Leslie. 
Good afternoon and welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Romaldi, Leslie's executive producer, in with you for a little bit more than the next half hour, joined by a good friend of the show, Brad Bannon, who runs Bannon CR. Uh, Brad, we are going to go to some calls here. First, I wanted to correct myself, and I want to thank Pamela, our next caller, for that. I made I made uh, Corey Booker from your state there in Massachusetts, and Pamela's as well, but he's in New Jersey. We would love to have Corey Booker. I was going to say, you already have Elizabeth Warren. Don't get greedy, but... Uh, but before we go any further with that, Pamela, thanks for that. And go ahead with your thoughts on the VP uh, choice here. Absolutely. I wanted to say the same thing, that we'd love to claim him, um, but uh, but we love Elizabeth Walker. Um, I'm in western Massachusetts. And, um, yeah, I would I would love Cory Booker. I think it's going to be Tim, Tim Kaine. I think most people think it's going to be Tim Kaine. Um, but I, I really would love to see Cory Booker. Um, he's clearly been a rising star for many years, um, and I'd love to see him in the administration. I I have always been torn on Elizabeth Warren um, being the VP pick because I want to keep her as my senator, and I think that we need her in the Senate um, and that she will hopefully have a, a prominent position moving forward, you know, and uh, ahead of her. Um, but I'd love to, to keep her in the Senate because God knows we need to take back control of the Senate and, uh, and get some more progressives like Elizabeth there. Yeah, I think that's a good point because she's such a progressive champion. And if I'm not mistaken, Brad, I think she has a uh, a pretty prominent role in the Senate now, and she does a lot of work regarding uh, keeping the banks in line with uh, regulating different uh, problems that they've uh, posed to the country after the 2008 uh, economic meltdown. Um, I know a lot of people in Massachusetts uh, there where you live, Brad, feel the same way. They don't want to lose her. Well, yeah, I think that's very true. Uh, and the other thing to consider, and this came up before when we talked about Bernie Sanders, is that in all likelihood, I think at least, the Democrats are going to uh, be running the Senate next year. Uh, I think they'll win their majority back. Uh, and that means Elizabeth Warren will have an even more prominent role uh, than she does now, because she will be in the majority. And that uh, gives her a lot more leverage uh, than she's had since she's been in the Senate, where she's been in the minority most of the time. Uh, on Cory Booker, uh, yeah, he's very exciting. I don't think it's going to be him, but he's very exciting. I know uh, Cory Booker was up in Boston a few months ago, uh, and he uh, gave a speech at the uh, at the uh, Kennedy Library, and uh, my daughter was there, and she has been raving about Cory Booker ever since then. She thinks he's uh, great, and she's a millennial, so what the heck, but all the indications are it's going to be a Tim Kaine. I talked to a friend of mine uh, who is on the uh, Clinton campaign advance team, and apparently they were told last night to get ready for a Kane announcement. So, uh, so it looks like it's going to be Kane. Do you think that's going to happen today, real quick, Brad? Before we go to break, or do you think they're more likely to release that tomorrow? And what are the strategies around that? Uh, yeah, I all 
indications were it was supposed to happen today, uh, but now we're uh, well into the uh, early evening, uh, and unless they're planning on doing it uh, right uh, at six when the national news, when all the news shows are on, so they can do it live, uh, I don't know. But it was supposed to happen today, and uh, I don't know whether it will or not. All right, we're going to go right back to a quick commercial break, and then we'll be uh, joining the rest of our callers here. If you'd like to get in line now, 8886-LESLIE. Good evening and uh, or afternoon, depending on where you are in this uh, great United States of America. This is Mark Grimaldi in for Leslie Marshall, joined by good friend of the show, Brad Bannon. You can check him out on Twitter at Brad Bannon or check out his website, BannonCR.com. He runs Bannon Communications Research. Uh, Brad, we're going to go back to some more calls. Next, we go to uh, Ann in uh, Oregon. Ann, I know you wanted to uh, weigh in on Donald Trump's uh, speech last night. Go ahead and thanks for calling. Exactly. And by the way, I really enjoy it when you two are on. Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. Appreciate it very much. So I must fact check Brad uh, regarding uh, human interest parts of his speech. He did include it, um, like when he named families who had relatives killed by illegals. And um, he mentioned the killing of cops. Um, But I noticed. I never heard him mention anything about innocent black people getting killed by cops. Not, I don't think there was one word. No, I think you're actually. Uh, it's a good point. You're you're right about the latter because I know that was something that um that clip we had played. I don't know if you heard of Anna Navarro, the Republican strategist on CNN, had challenged. Jeffrey Lord, the CNN contributor who supports Trump, saying, um, you know, why why were those people who were killed not acknowledged? You know, essentially, are their lives less valuable uh, than those uh, of those who were killed? You know, the police officers that were killed. And, and I think the story you were talking about of the the woman uh, who was killed in Nebraska, her name was Sarah Root by uh, the man who uh, was in this country uh, illegally. And that story had gained a lot of attraction uh, previously when uh, it had been initially reported and and one of the reasons that some people uh, have called for you know tightening the borders I know uh, one of the issues that was brought up after he gave that story was he gave the statistic and I know you weren't necessarily defending this statistic and but just to talk about it you know he would give he did give a personal example there and then tried to push a statistic in order to support his argument which is you know we need to build a wall um he claimed that the number of new illegal immigrant families crossing the border so far already exceeds the entire total from 2015 and that uh they're being released by the tens of thousands into our communities with no regard for the impact on public safety or resources but cbs news and uh, the ap as we reported here uh said the pace of releasing immigrants is not driven by the obama administration but by a court ruling where a federal judge ruled last year that the government couldn't hold parents and children in jail for more than 20 days, um, and also by the standard used uh, by the government to estimate illegal border crossings. Um, 
the number in the budget uh, is down from 2014 and down uh, historically where it was the highest during uh, the Bush administration. And then to boot, I know a poll that Brad and I were talking about, I don't know if you had seen the poll yet, and was a Gallup poll from yesterday talking about how many people uh, favored building a wall versus right. uh, a path to citizenship. So I think it's important to definitely bring up, and uh, thank you for calling. I know you wanted to comment on that as well, Brad. Well, yeah, I mean, one thing, that can uh, I, you're absolutely right. Uh, he didn't mention at all the uh, killings of black churchgoers in Charleston, South Carolina a year ago, uh, which was committed um, by a guy who uh, had was born in the United States, raised in the United States, and never left in the United States. So, well, yeah, you have bad apples. You have a undocumented immigrant who kills this poor woman, uh, and then you have a guy who was born and bred in the United States who killed 12 tra- churchgoers, and no mention of that. Uh, the other thing I I'd mention is that President Obama proposed um, an immigration reform bill uh, at least two years ago, uh, which has never been voted on. The Republican majority in the House won't even bring it to a vote. Uh, and part of his immigration reform bill was to increase federal government spending uh, for border security by $68 billion. Not $68 million, $68 billion. And the Republicans wouldn't even, wouldn't even vote on the bill. Totally ignored it. I think another point to bring up, which, um, you know, doesn't get a lot of attention, but um, when that story came out about Sarah uh, Root, there was an examination done regarding the amount of crime that is committed by uh, people who were born here versus people who you know, our newcomers to the United States. Um, And this is from the Wall Street Journal talking about how uh, newcomers to the U.S. are less likely to commit uh, violent crimes or be incarcerated than the native population. So I think, you know, the fact that this connection that some people, you know, specifically Trump has tried to make that people who come here undocumented are somehow more dangerous than the native population has been statistically shown to be false, number one. And number two, as you said, the president and the current Congress have tried to put forward a comprehensive immigration bill that has been blocked, not even voted on by the Republican Party. So I think Trump is hypocritical to, you know, bring that up and then, you know, somehow link himself to the Republican Party and act like they're trying to do something, you know, that that Democrats are not, I guess, is is the best way to put it. But, Ann, thank you for calling. Next, I want to go to uh, Andy in uh, Santa Fe. Andy, I know you wanted to comment on the speech, and uh, thanks for calling in, and go ahead with your thoughts. Hey, Mark, it's uh, good to talk to uh, another upstate New Yorker, although I've been in New Mexico for 35 years since I was 19, but uh, I'm living proof that uh, you can't take the upstate New Yorker <laughs> out of a person, okay? <laughs> I hear you. It's almost like wherever you go, if, if you're from there, it's it's like a bond that links you forever. So uh, especially after I being... bet you like the weather better, though. 
Uh, well, uh, this, well, yeah, I guess. I mean, it's bacon hot, let me tell you. I mean, bacon, and we're not getting any rain. So Maybe in, like, uh, December we'll call you and you could just laugh at us or something. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, I don't miss that. You know, it gets a little, uh, winter, winter's fun when you're a kid, but it gets a little bit expensive when you're an adult. So Yeah, it's not as fun when, the, you know, you, you don't get a snow day usually from work, only in school, it seems like, when you're a kid. But, uh, but thanks hey, for well, calling. I lived in upstate New York for four years when I went to Syracuse. University, uh, and I remember one uh, year, I think it was my sophomore year, we had close to 250 inches of snow that winter. Well, Syracuse is the uh, uh, snow capital for any major city in the United States. You betcha. That is Syracuse, not Buffalo. No, you're right. You're right. Actually, it's funny. Brad and I have that connection as well. Even though I was uh, born and raised in Buffalo, I, I, I apparently hate snow or love snow so much. So that's where I went to college for four years. And I remember <laughs> I actually thought I was going to get a break, to be completely honest, because I didn't really know that. And my uh, freshman and sophomore years were two of the worst in, in that decade for snowfall. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Hey, well, anyway, so, <laughs> hey, look, uh, 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 that speech last night was uh, utterly shocking, and and uh, 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 this guy uh, is going to take it all the way. And 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 I got to tell you, I mean that's my sense. And I, I have uh, uh, right from the get go have thought to myself, there is no way that that Hillary Clinton could get elected. I hate to say that as a lefty, but but it's like I thought to myself right from the beginning, it's like, oh my god, I can't imagine it. I can't imagine it. And so so I guess my other comment would be as far as her VP pick, would she Hillary Clinton needs to pick Russ Feingold. You know? She needs to pick Al Franken. I mean, she needs to pick Elizabeth Warren, I guess. Uh, I mean, because otherwise, it is it it just is. I think Russ Feingold should be her pick. So that that's sort of where I'm. You're you're that. essentially concerned about her not uh, having enough energy right now to energize the progressive wing of the party in order to win the election. Is that am I correct in that? Well, we'll see, Mark. We'll see. You know, look, we've got the Democratic convention that's coming up, and here here we'll go, and we'll see what happens. But I tell you, I think in my mind. Uh, Holy cow, if she doesn't pick someone who can energize all of, of the Democratic voters, uh, we're sunk. Well, I hope you're not right. I hope I hope she does uh, energize the party, and I I hope that that you're right about uh, you know her her winning or or maybe I guess wrong about her not winning in November because I agree with you. After watching that speech last night, it was absolutely terrifying. I want to get Brad's thoughts on that. Brad, as far as the the pick that uh, Clinton you know needs to make here, you know what what should she be looking for? You know how much of a concern do you think she um, should have in, in energizing the progressive wing of the party? I know she got Senator. Sanders uh, endorsement uh, is that enough you know or does she need and also what about the the you know is is Kane not progressive you know I know he's not seen as progressive obviously as like an Elizabeth Warren or a Cory Booker or a Bernie Sanders um, dude, what are your thoughts on all of that Brad well first of all I dismiss the notion that Tim Kaine isn't progressive. Uh, he's got a 98% positive voting record from the Amer- uh, AFL-CIO. 
uh, his votes mirror uh, most of the other Democrats uh, in the Senate, and there's very little difference between his voting record, for example, and Al Franken's. Uh, so, so somehow he's been cast as a conservative, and uh, that's certainly not reflected in his voting record in the Senate. Uh, you know, this is my feeling about vice presidents. In the last analysis, I've never seen any evidence, and there's been one exception to this, I've never seen one uh, any evidence that any vice presidential pick has made an iota's worth of difference in a presidential vote in the last generation. Uh, there's just no evidence to support it. They always ask about vice presidential picks uh, in the exit poll, post-election exit polls, and almost every American says, didn't matter, didn't even know who it was. Uh, now, there's been one exception to that rule, uh, and not a good one. Uh, the one exception of a candidate who made a great difference in a presidential campaign was Sarah Palin. Uh, and there's a lot of evidence that shows that she was a decidedly uh, a big obstacle for John McCain. Uh, and, you know, the the reality is everybody's focused on the presidential candidates, um, and for good reason, because vice presidents are pretty much powerless, um, which is why I'm glad, for instance, that uh, Elizabeth Warren is staying in the Senate. Um, basically, vice presidential candidates are ignored, uh, and then when the prime minister of Liechtenstein dies, uh, he gets an all-expense trip to Liechtenstein to go to the funeral. Uh, so, you know, I'm all for Elizabeth Warren and Al Franken and all staying in the Senate because with the Democratic majority, they'll have a much greater voice there than they would be if they're vice president. I think that's a really good point that honestly doesn't come to people's mind right away because of the, you know, excitement around, you know, choosing a vice president. Um, you know, I think it's a really well taken point, Brad. Uh, we're going to go to a quick commercial break and then come back with our last segment. If you're on hold now, we will get to you. Uh, a couple lines open if you want to try to get in here. We'll try to squeeze you in at the end of the show. This is Mark Grimaldi in for Leslie Marshall along with Brad Bannon. And we will be right back after this quick commercial break. You're listening to The Leslie Marshall Show. Truth for all sides of the spectrum. 888-6-LESLIE. I was struck by two things I always believed during my two decades in Republican politics. One, the voters always get it right. And two, the Republican Party that I worked for for two decades died in this room tonight. We are now represented as a party by a man who believes in protectionism, isolationism, and nativism. And those were the forces that George W. Bush and I believe John McCain, too, were most worried about during their times as the leaders of the Republican Party. You believe the party died tonight? Well, the party, the voters picked this guy. This yeah. is where the Republican Party is now. They now are attracted to those forces of isolationism, isolationism and protectionism. But the party I was part of for two decades is dead. Striking words from Republican strategist Nicole Wallace, who served on Senator John McCain's 2008 presidential campaign. Uh, as you heard, she said the Republican Party she's known for two decades is dead after watching Donald Trump's acceptance speech last night. Dark, frightening, many words used by people not only on the left, but the right. Um, 
basically shouted for the whole 75-minute speech. This, uh, again, is Mark Grimaldi, uh, Leslie's executive producer, with you for the final segment, joined by Brad Bannon. We're going to go back to uh, the phone lines here and get your thoughts on Trump's speech and uh, Secretary Clinton's potential vice presidential picks. We go next to Scott in Ithaca, not far away from where we were just talking about uh, our alma mater of Syracuse. Uh, Scott, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing good, thank God. So, a couple comments. It, most people that are kind of a mind, mindset are not black and white kind of thinkers. In other words, you know, I'm, I'm basically pretty much a, a Bernie bro, if you want to call it that, or whatever. Um, Donald Trump was not shouting the entire time he was speaking. Everything that he said wasn't... Oh, are you still there, Scott? Yeah, I am. Hello? It cut yeah, out. I, I'm, I'm still here. I heard you say, the last thing I heard you say was everything he said was not shouting, he was speaking, but then it cut out. So uh, wherever you were after that, go ahead. Yeah, and not everything that he said was evil. There were some, he made some good points. He made some points on energy that I would, you know, about coal and stuff like that, that progressives would never go to. But for people to paint the picture that he's bad, Hillary's great, Hillary's a corporate Democrat, and Bernie people like myself realize that, and that's why we supported Bernie Sanders and it was kind of, I found it kind of funny that um, Donald Trump actually mentioned Bernie Sanders during the speech because sometimes when he says things about trade policies, people are like, wow, that sounds kind of progressive. Now, I know some of the other things he says are not progressive or anti-progressive, but the, the, my general point is that everybody tries to paint this picture of, well, of course, it's the pundits, and there are people that work you know, for Trump or work for Clinton campaigns, and they're, they're, you know, I found out the hard way running for high office that, um, you know, some people won't tell you right away that they're actually working for or have worked for somebody. But, you know, I think he did, one correction, I think he did mention something about Alton Sterling uh, during the speech. So just a, a minor correction. But, again, not everything he said was, was horrific or evil, and not everything he said would, you know, a progressive would agree with. But there were some things that progressives would agree with. I think, uh, Scott, you make some interesting comments. Um, one thing, I, I, I don't believe Brad or myself said uh, everything he said was evil, so I'm not sure where you got that from. Even the clips that we played of uh, Republican strategist Anna Navarro or the quotes that we read from uh, Mary Kay. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I can't find her name here. Mar- Mary Kate Carey, the former presidential speechwriter for uh, George H.W. Bush. Uh, no one actually said evil. Um, her quote was, no anecdotes, no stories, no narrative arc, nothing but platitudes dark vision of the future no uplifting vision or call to action wow um yeah and i wouldn't i wouldn't say that his entire speech was necessarily characterized by what she said i i I mean that's your opinion i I thought you know looking at people like chris wallace even of fox news saying that you know it was you know and these are people who have supported trump and and spoke positively about him during uh the primary process even when he was on stage with 16 other republicans so um i mean just objectively looking at it he he did pretty much shout for almost the entire 75 minutes which again was the longest speech in over four decades but speaking specifically of what you said regarding bernie sanders bernie sanders 
Sanders himself tore the speech to, to shreds if you read what Bernie yeah. put out yesterday. I mean, what what specifically does Donald Trump have to offer to Bernie Sanders supporters? He said that he only wants to make good trade deals, but if you look at where the man, you know, and this is something that Bernie Sanders brought up yesterday, if you look at where Donald Trump, okay, what's his experience? Well, he's a businessman. Okay, fair enough. Uh-huh. What does he do? He makes uh, clothing items. That was his big thing, you know, when he was on The Apprentice. Where is products made? Well, his ties are manufactured in China. His shirts are manufactured in Bangladesh. And his right. clothing line is manufactured in Mexico. So if he's not well, a politician. Well, you could say all those things. I mean, we have presidents who were, for, well, we had, you know, like uh, Terry Truman was a haberdasher. I mean, he was a wholesaler or whatever. You know, we have presidents that were not strictly political, uh, you know, career career politicians or anything like that. And I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. I, I didn't I mean, say there was I mean, anything wrong with that. What I said was, you said, I, you, you said, I think he had something to offer Bernie Sanders supporters. The only thing he mentioned after he said anything about Bernie Sanders, was trade. So Bernie Sanders himself, the man that you said you support and you supported in Mm -hmm. the primaries, these are Bernie Sanders' words. So I'm just telling you what the man you said that you supported is saying about the man that you're talking about now, which, I mean, don't you think that that's somewhat valuable or meaningful? I think it's meaningful, but what I'm saying is, and and by the way, by the way, it's it's not all about Bernie. As a matter of fact, it's it's really about a movement. Uh, Scott, unfortunately, it sounds like you're underwater. I don't know what's what's up with your phone, but Brad, we're running up against the last minute here. Uh, go ahead. Uh, well, the national polls uh, show that there are very few Sanders supporters who are going to vote for Donald Trump. And uh, I thought that uh, Bernie Sanders' criticism of the speech last night was very harsh and very specific. And my guess is if there were any Bernie Sanders supporters who were going to vote for Trump, there aren't now. Yeah, I mean, looking at the polls, the most recent polls, uh, you had three major polls uh, from Pew, uh, uh, 538 Nate's uh, Silver site actually did an aggregate of them, uh, an average of 9% of people who voted for Bernie Sanders in the primary saying that they would vote for Donald Trump uh, in the uh, general election, and that was before Bernie Sanders endorsed Hillary Clinton. 9%. So um, I I appreciate your call, Scott. Again, we love taking in all opinions here. I want to thank, first and foremost, Brad Bannon, who runs Bannon Communications Research. You can check him out at BannonCR.com. Follow him on Twitter at Brad Bannon. This has been Mark Grimaldi in for Leslie Marshall. You can follow me on Twitter at Mark J. Grimaldi. And Brad's going to be live from the Democratic National Convention on Monday in Philadelphia. I'm going to join him from 4 to 6. And then Leslie will be live from the DNC on Tuesday. In the meantime, have a great weekend and be safe.